Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And today we are going to conclude our Murderous Affairs Week with a case that happened pretty close to us, actually. This case took place in Battle Creek, Michigan, and we're going to take a ride in the DeLorean for this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are we going back in time? We're going way back. Not way, way back, but way back. To 1963. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the case of the brutal murder of Daisy Zick, and her case is still unsolved today. All right. All right. I first learned about this because my aunt lives next door to the house that this murder took place in. Wow. And she and her husband happened to have a book on the murder, and so she dropped it off to me. Very nice. Yes. Now, I do have to ask, does somebody live in that house today? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. A lot of my information comes from that very in-depth book. I do recommend that you guys read it. There's a lot of really good information on the city, what was going on in the time. Um, Serial City. Serial City. We talk about that, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, The book is is titled Murder in Battle Creek, The Mysterious Death of Daisy Zick by Blaine Pardo. And he did a really good job. Like he, He got a hold of case files from the police did some reports deep through the digging. Yes, through the years. I want to first start off with some background on who Daisy was before her tragic ending. She was born February 1919 near Hastings, Michigan. Her parents were Gaylord Charles Holmes. We don't get a Gaylord very often. No. I appreciate that. I like I like a Love good me a Gaylord. gaylord. <laughs> Very, very, like, prestigious. It authoritative. is. Authoritative. Yes. Yeah. Like, nothing says I'm a boss, like, being named Gaylord. Gaylord. Anyway. So Gaylord Holmes and Pearl Holmes were her, her parents. They were farmers. Although her dad did work for the Road Commission briefly, they were farmers through and through. They weren't rich, by, but by no means for the time were they poor. Mm-hmm. Daisy attended a one-room schoolhouse until the eighth grade. And then she dropped out of school, which was typical of the time. Yeah. And she only knew people in their rural area. Can you believe that I tackled that word on a podcast? You slayed it. Good job. A lot of podcasters avoid that rule. That word. That rule. That too. (laughs) Not to worry. I found a way to mess it up. (laughs) We're so close. (laughs) Story of my life. (laughs) They're in this, this very rural area. And... Really, the only friends that you make are the ones that are close to you, right? Mm -hmm. So she met a man named Neville, who went by Bill, and his last name was King. Okay. When she was 14, who was just down the road from her, and he was 22. Okay. So in the same year that they met, they married on September 29th, 1933. took a really abrupt turn. I know. She was 14, he was 22, and a Apparently, it wasn't as creepy as, then yeah, as it is say, now. It's kind of a, it was maybe more of a thing. 
Yep. I, I don't know. It's the 30s. I still think it was creepy. I oh, don't know. But... For sure. It's still, you know, not appropriate. Yes. Back and then, they, they didn't. Did, they did go to the county that he lived in because they had looser laws on marriage. So it was still allowed there. Okay. Okay. They moved to Battle Creek on April 1st, 1936, three years after getting married. They had a son named James Jim King. James Jim? James. He, Jim is in parentheses. <laughs> But oh, thank oh you. okay, gotcha. But thank you, because I did read that like James Jim. Yeah. I mean, I will no, call him that goes, if that's right. what he, he He's still alive today. He goes by Jim. King. Okay. All right. Yep. I'm a little disappointed, but so, carry on. Unfortunately, uh her husband Bill Neville actually beat Daisy a lot. Oh, so we don't like this novel. We don't. No, he is a horrible husband. He was verbally abusive at well as well. He twisted her wrists. He broke her nose. Court records oh, he showed broke her n- he screw did. you, Neville. We don't like Neville. No. Court records showed that Neville had quote had otherwise beaten the plaintiff, which was Daisy, to an extent that it is difficult to believe a husband would beat his wife. End quote. Oh my gosh! Like the courts are saying, okay, husbands beat their wife, but not this at badly. this time. But this guy just took it too far. I was like, when I read that, I was like, wait. <laughs> Huh? Oh, okay. Like, we allow you to beat your wife, but, sir, you have taken it too far. You broke her nose. Anyway, the broken nose was the last straw, and she left for her parents' home. Good. Now, remember, divorce wasn't easy to come by in the 30s, like the Uh drive-thru divorces that we do today. (laughs) Mobile divorce. Oh, my God. It just came to me like a vision. Oh, my God. We can't put this in the podcast. Someone's oh, going right. to steal it. You're right. You, that's how you're going to make your this. millions. Heck yes. And I was here for the birth of it, so I should get a cut. I've had other I'll mobile ideas, though. I feel like it's a thing with me. <laughs> Women everywhere, hold your bits because this is about to piss you off. I just want to warn you. Let me you. grab my bits. Get your bits. She was considered at the age of 18, which is when she was getting divorced, uh-huh. an infant in the eyes of the court. So her father had to be established as her, quote, next friend. And her father had to sue for the divorce on her behalf because she was she was old enough to marry and spit a child out of her baby chute. But she was not allowed to get a freaking divorce if she wanted one. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, her father. My bits are falling all I out. I told you to over, hold them. All over the place. I'm losing my bits. She is literally losing oh her bits. Oh my gosh, what a time to be alive. Right? I'm so glad I wasn't. So her father does this, and this is another legal technicality at the time. <laughs> this is where you're going to get real pissed. She had to be declared unfit. Yes. To get a divorce? Yep. Yes, ladies, I said unfit. Like, she was the unfit wife because her douche canoe abusive husband could not control himself and beat her to the point of breaking her nose, but she's the one that had to be declared unfit to get the divorce. Oh, my God. And I feel like this is the reason that I was born in the generation that I was because God knew that I for sure would have been unfit for anything before the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I I don't even... I guess being in this time, like, I can't wrap my brain around how that was even okay. No, So now Daisy is young and has some newfound freedom. She worked for Nabisco Company. That's what she started. So she went through all of this. She She did. She's like, it's worth it. I'm unfit. She went through the whole divorce. Yes, exactly. Did she get to keep her child? She did. Oh, okay. Her father had to, you know, be declared her next friend so that her father could sue for the divorce on her behalf and sue under the terms that she was unfit. 
Jeez. to be able to be granted the divorce, but they finally got it done. Okay. She worked for Nabisco Company with her slightly younger sister. The roads weren't great back then. Not that they're great I was going to say by what's the way. different. Right. <laughs> nope. Battle Creek is still Battle Creek, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Some things haven't changed. Right. The two get an apartment together because it is just much easier than taking their, you know, Model T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, down yeah, these yeah bumpy, the good old Model T. Yep, okay. down these bumpy roads back and forth every day. Mm-hmm. And what happens is James stays with the grandparents while mom and aunt are in working this apartment and, working. Okay. Mm-hmm. But she comes back on every, all, every weekend. Mm-hmm. And he saw his dad on Sundays. I did, there was a big long section in the book. I won't put it in here because you can read it in his book. But about how it was a bit of a fight for the Sunday visitation. They they kind of sounded like they went through some co-parenting drama there. But he saw his dad on Sundays and then saw his mom the rest of the weekend and was living with his grandparents during the week. Okay. The war brought in a lot of handsome military men to the area. And like I said, Daisy had herself some newfound freedom. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that she had a particular unsatiable appetite for men. All right. And they for her. So yeah. Daisy was a little bit of a looker Daisy herself, was. Huh? She, yeah, she had um, bright red hair. Oh, okay. Really pretty gal. Mm-hmm. She would attend dances. And she was dancing to all the single ladies before Beyonce was even uh, yeah. thought of. All right. Kind of okay. Living her best life out there. It was at one of these dances with the Soldier Boys that she met Floyd Zick. And Floyd was as irresistible as his name suggests mm-hmm. that he would be. Okay. <laughs> if Delicious that's not a little number. 1930s name, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm Floyd, Floyd Zick. Yeah. Like, it's a good one. He was born in Denzer, Washington, and he enlisted in the Army in 1941. He was at Fort Custer in Battle Creek for training when the two lovebirds came together. Mm-hmm. Okay. And according to Perdo's book, they wanted to be respectful of James' wishes. So when the two wed in 1942, they gave James the option to move in with them or to remain on the farm with his grandparents where he'd been essentially Uh raised at this point. So James decided to stay with his grandparents. He and Floyd and his mom, they did things together like fishing. They still did the weekend thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just he stayed there where he was. Yeah, where he was comfortable. comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. Where things were familiar, but he did have a relationship, a good relationship with his mom, saw her every weekend, and um, him and Floyd weren't bros. They did stuff together and they got along. There was no okay, problems so he, there. He he described that they weren't very close, but they did do nice things together. Mm-hmm. And in 1957, James got married to Ruth and the two of them had a little girl named Lori in 1959. Now, at first, Daisy did not relish in the idea of being a grandmother at the age of 40. At this point in time, she's 40. Oh, okay. I feel you, Daisy. I know, right. And I think that vanity prevented her from believing that she was old enough to be a grandma. I want to remind her, Sweets, you got married at 14 the first time. Mm -hmm. You could have been a grandma at 28 if your kids had followed in your same footsteps. Right, right. So be thankful that you're not on your way to great-grandmotherhood by 40. (laughs) Because it could have possibly happened. happened. Anyway, as time went on, she fell in love with Lori, and she changed her tune and enjoyed being a grandma with little Lori. There were some cute pictures in the book of them together. By this time, though, things weren't all rainbows and butterflies. Why do they use that as a term to describe happy places, by the way? 
For me, it would be Cabana Boys and Margaritas. Ooh, that's good. Things weren't all Cabana Boys and Margaritas. (laughs) Let's change it to that from now on. Forget the butterflies and rainbows. Anyway, it wasn't great. Floyd was a butcher. At a local grocery store, which sometimes in our cases, that's a red flag. But Such no. a bad thing. Yeah. Well, it's a good guy. <laughs> um, so he's a butcher at a local grocery store uh, called Fails Market, and he was beginning to drink heavily. He was not a dysfunctional alcoholic, but it did take a toll on Daisy mm-hmm. um, and their marriage, and she began having many affairs. Okay. I don't want to sound like I'm blaming the drinking on the affairs. I mean, especially as a social worker, I'm inclined to say that there were obviously needs not being met mm-hmm. by both sides that contributed to their dysfunctional Yeah, there, it sounds like there was a variety of problems, mm-hmm. probably. So here's the thing about Daisy. By the time of her death, she worked at Kellogg Company. She was described as having a big, bubbly personality. She was very outgoing and very friendly. And she still had her her red hair. It was just shorter Mm -hmm. at this time. She was slender in build. By the way, the post plant smells amazing to drive by. So good. Oh, my gosh. If you ever get the chance to be in Battle Creek. Roll that window down. Roll the windows down and take it all in because it is, like, comforting and it smells like cinnamon toast crunch. Delicious warm cereal. It's so good. Yeah. I used to do an internship in Battle Creek. And, oh, my gosh, I loved in the morning you could smell the cereal. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Kellogg is the best. Sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> we like love your cereal. Anytime we, we name drop a major yeah. name, we're always like, sponsor us. We just gave you free advertising. <laughs> so, basically, the, the culture at the Kellogg Company at the time for a good-looking, fit woman like Daisy is one that presented lots of opportunity for her to chat it up with men. Mm-hmm. The town of Battle Creek has grown over the years, but at this time, people knew everyone's business. And Daisy did have the reputation of being a loose woman. Oh, all right. One neighbor commented during the investigation of her death as, quote, there were always cars over at the Zick's home, end quote. I appreciated the way that the author pointed out that Daisy wasn't the only side of an affair. And the fact is... She had a lot of suitors. What the investigation revealed was that although she had the reputation of enjoying the company of men, she also only dated one man at a time for long periods of time. Okay. So, yes, she was married, but she was not spreading her wings around for any rooster that came a-clucking, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Those wings were one man at a time. They were. They were. They were flapping for one man at a time. (laughs) And her husband. Wings of flapping. Can I ask, yeah. did Floyd... It was Floyd, right? Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. I know what you're... All I right. so know what you're about I, to ask. My, my mm-hmm. brain's a-churning with like, all the wings flapping. How does the community flapping? know this, that she yeah, has Floyd. this reputation? And it turns out that her reputation was actually very exaggerated. A lot of it was gossip. Talk oh, around the town, yeah. as they do. Yep. Yeah. So it's not known whether or not Floyd knew of her affairs. That was my very next sentence prior to her death. But investigators believe that he must have because her own son would report to seeing his mom in vehicles and at bars with other men. Okay. It just was what it was. But it complicates a murder investigation for sure. Faux show. Because it gives a lot of people, both men and women, a strong motive for her death. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. Definitely. So this brings us to the day of January 14th, 1963. The night before January 14th, there had been a large snowfall, and they had about six inches already. 
But what most people talk about with that day is that it was bitter, blustery, cold temperatures mm. that were below zero. Michigan. Can't you just January. feel that? Oh, for sure. Oh, just We've been there. <laughs> so many times. This is important because it was so cold that no one was out and about unless they absolutely had to be, uh-huh. which complicates things further, too. Daisy worked the second shift at Kellogg while her husband worked first at the market. They lived in a brick ranch-style home on Juno Street in Waddles Park, which is located in Emmett Tom- Township in Battle Creek. On the Tuesday morning of January 14th, Daisy was getting ready to go meet her friend Audrey Hemminger at Vello's Restaurant for coffee and gossip between 10 and 10.30 a.m. After that, she would head to the Kellogg Punk Company where she worked on the packing line, and she was due to arrive about noon to work. What we know from the investigation is that at 9 a.m., Daisy took a call at home from her husband. He made this call every day as a way to check in and catch up since they worked different shifts. Mm -hmm. Daisy had told him that she was just getting ready to take a bath to go meet up with Audrey. Daisy placed a call shortly after that to the Battle Creek Health Center and spoke to Irene Taylor about some paperwork related to her insurance. Irene would later say that there was nothing unusual about their call. At some point in the morning, Daisy started to pack her lunch for work. There was a brown bag with a napkin and a banana inside. Next to the bag was a sandwich, a wedge of cheese, and two pickles nearly wrapped in wax paper. So it's like she didn't get to finish packing. You are you reading my notes from across the room? You know, it's a gift. Because I literally said it kind of sounds to me like she was interrupted while packing the lunch since those items didn't make mm-hmm. their way into the bag like the banana and napkin. I'm not going to forget my wedge of cheese. No, or my two pickles? No. Also, so, love you Daisy, not one pickle, but two. Two. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to forget that Mm-mm. stuff. So it was disrupted for sure. I also want to point out how put together she was because she remembered to give herself a napkin. Yeah, I'm likely to forget to make myself I a would lunch. Not, yeah. But she gave herself a napkin. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to Daisy for Sometimes that. Sometimes I don't even know if I'm wearing underwear for shit's <laughs> sake. She's over here packing a napkin for herself. <laughs> Jealous. She also had her white work shoes in a brown paper um, bag that were on the table next to her lunch sack so that she wouldn't forget them. Because, mm-hmm. of course, they had to wear an all-white uniform. Okay, yep. Shortly after 9 a.m. and after her call with her husband in the health center, she took a call from a man that she was involved with, Raymond Mercer. Ray was a co-worker at Kellogg, and the plant knew, everyone in the plant knew of their relationship. Then we know, at 9.30 a.m., the neighbor's cleaning lady stepped out into the frigid cold to shake off a rug. She noticed that Daisy's bedroom drapes were open, which was odd because Daisy doesn't usually open them until 11 when she typically leaves for the day. However, she was leaving earlier that day because she was going to go meet Audrey at 10 o'clock for coffee. Mm-hmm. So I believe that her curtains were open because earlier. earlier because she was leaving earlier. Okay. Because she was going to meet for, for coffee uh, beforehand. Yes, your neighbors really do know everything about you, by oh, the way. Absolutely. Just before 10 a.m., Audrey called Daisy to confirm their meeting for coffee. Audrey was the last person to speak to Daisy alive. Now we're at just a little bit before 10, Mm -hmm. and she's still planning on meeting Audrey. Audrey, okay. Okay. Sometime after 10 a.m., Daisy's neighbor, Mrs. DeFrance, saw someone she described as an average-height male with dark hair and a longer blue coat standing in the breezeway of the Zick's home, jumping up and down a little bit like he's battling the cold. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
If you're unfamiliar with what a breezeway is, it's just a room that connects a garage to the side of the house, typically used to collect shoes and shit from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Most people don't heat them. It's it's chilly in there, but it's literally just this extension of the house that connects your garage to your home. I just want to give this neighbor credit. She was watching that place. She was. Like, this is a this is a different neighbor. This is Mrs. DeFrance. The other one was a Oh, na- so there's okay, two different neighbors. The other one was a neighbor's cleaning lady. Mm. This uh, noticed her um curtains were open. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whole neighborhoods on the, on watch. On watch. Mm-hmm. So this person was standing in the breezeway and knocked on the house door and was waiting for Daisy to answer it. Now, like I indicated before, Daisy Daisy having men over when her husband was at work was about as common as the mailman coming. Okay, so they were just like, oh, it's another yeah. one. So Mrs. DeFrance did not think anything of it. She did recall that 20 minutes later, she glanced out and noticed that Daisy's side of the garage door was open and Daisy's car was gone. This was a completely out of the ordinary because Daisy never left her garage door open, ever. Uh-huh. Especially not in the bitter cold because it would have made her house even colder, as, right. you know, as we know. She also noticed the windows had been pulled open earlier than usual that day as well. Again, I don't think it's super relevant because I think the windows were open because Daisy knew she was leaving, leaving earlier. earlier. Now, what happens is Audrey Hemminger goes to Velo's for their coffee date. Daisy did not show. So at first, Audrey thought something had come up, so she just went on to work at Kellogg's as as well, as Mm -hmm. usual. When she arrived, she learned that Daisy did not show up for her shift, and she did not call in, which was not like her at all, as we always know in these cases. So Audrey goes to Raymond Mercer. As I said, everyone knows that she and Raymond at that time were bumping uglies. Mm -hmm. And Raymond said that he spoke to her earlier in the morning and that she was planning to to meet her and to come to work at at the time that he spoke to her. Raymond went out on his break to check for Daisy's car and saw that it wasn't in the usual spot. So he let Audrey know that. We all need friends like Audrey, by the way, because next she called the Zick home. And when no one answered, she called Floyd at the market. Mm. She explained the sitch. Mm -hmm. To Floyd. Like, this is what's going on. Good for her. Yeah, you got to check on Daisy. Floyd was worried right away because Daisy might be a lot of things, but inconsiderate of her friends and irresponsible with her job was not one of them. Floyd is worried in the super cold temperatures that her car might have broken down, which is super common to happen. And so on on his way home, he wasn't too far from the market. He encounters Daisy's car on the side of Michigan Ave which is a highly traveled road. Yeah. He thinks maybe she has fallen ill and she's just laying in the car. Then he realizes that the car is empty and the keys are missing. So he's got his spare on his keychain. Mm-hmm. So he gets in like trying to figure out maybe it wouldn't start, you know. It starts off right away. So he's like, okay, maybe it temporarily broke down and she went walking for help and mm-hmm. took her keys so no one would steal the car. So Floyd heads home and notices immediately that her side of the garage is open, and this is not right at all. The door from the breezeway into the house, which led right into the kitchen, was unlocked and slightly open. So now he's really concerned because Daisy always kept the doors locked. He sees her luncheon shoes on the table and knows immediately... Something's Something's really wrong because, remember, originally he thought she was driving to work Mm -hmm. and the car broke down. 
she couldn't have been heading to work if those things that she needed to take to work are sitting on her kitchen table. And the kitchen rug was all scrunched up against the counter like someone had skidded Okay. Little foul play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. My kids leave my kitchen rug like that all the time and it drives me nuts. Like, what if there's a murder in here? They won't know if it's just trashy kids or, yeah. foul or like play. you said, foul play really happened. Yeah. Fix the rug. So the living room area of the home seemed normal and very quiet. Nothing mm. was amiss. He goes into the bedroom. Remember, it's just a small ranch home. He goes into the bedroom and saw that their white patterned Chanel bedspread was slightly disheveled with several spots of what appeared to be blood soaking it. Oh, no. This is a quote from the book. It looked as if the blood had been drizzled on the bed with the largest spot measuring about two inches across at the foot of the bed. Daisy's purse sat upright with the contents thrown about as if it had been dumped out, end quote. Her checkbook and wallet were thrown onto the bed. So her, her purse, it was a cute purse too, by the way, was sitting... There were pictures in the book. I just realized. Oh, gotcha. I didn't make that clear. You guys might be like, how the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> were you there? Right, what are right. you it was trying me. to say? I really was in the DeLorean. <laughs> so, it all comes out yes, now. Um, right on the pod. It was, it was a cute purse, but it was on the floor sitting upright. Mm-hmm. And there was like junk spilled out of it. But so then, it was clearly dumped and then like put yep, back. Then set, set upright. And then on her actual bed was the checkbook and wallet. So not a robbery. No. Mm-mm. Like, they didn't take those things. They took $45. Oh, okay. They did take some money. Which was her cash that she had at the time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now he knows something's wrong because also Daisy was the absolute epitome of a neat freak. Her house was immaculate. Mm-hmm. So if, even if you just take away the obvious issue of there being blood, she never would have left the room a mess like that. He goes back through the kitchen and then noticed that the phone line had been cut to the kitchen phone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he frantically goes back down the hallway and focuses attention on the spare bedroom. I don't know why, but spare bedrooms freak the shit out of me when you're, like, looking for something or people. Like, they're just, like, this room that sits. It's extra. Yeah, that no one really Pays attention to a lot. I don't know. It kind of it just you kind always of check me out. the spare bedroom. Always. I have so, a spare bedroom. I'm checking you do it when now. I get home. I'm so sorry. <sighs> I always okay. do this to you. <laughs> Feel free to wake me up in the middle of the night. Oh, I will. <laughs> you did this to me, bitch. So you're gonna suffer too. I'm gonna Facetime you as I check uh-huh. the spare bedroom. Yes, you should. So he noticed that the hi-fi console that was in that spare bedroom was pushed away from the wall. I'm an 80s baby. I had to look up what a hi-fi console was. So basically, it's that big, cool piece of furniture that they had in the 60s and 70s that had, like, the radio in the middle and then what looked like speakers, but you could they weren't speakers. You opened them up, and it's, like, where your parents hid the liquor. Okay. And stuff, you know? Yeah, that. But it's it's a heavy, big, heavy piece of furniture. So he sees this huge piece of, piece of furniture out of place, and dark maroon blood splatter was on the wall and streaked down the wall oh, that wow. led to, like, the closet doorframe. When he looks at the closet doorframe, he sees his wife's feet. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Now, there is a bed between him and his wife, so all he can see at first is her black and gold slippers and a hint of her brown slacks on her legs. But one leg was twisted very unnaturally, so he moves slowly further into the room. Daisy was laying on the floor between the bed and the wall. 
Her hands were bound behind her back with her own robe tie. She she was fully dressed for the day, so this tie was purposely taken from her robe that was in her bedroom to bind her. Her top was unrecognizable for all the blood had soaked it as well as pooled in the carpet. Oh my gosh. Now remember the phone line was cut, so he had to go to the basement where there was a second line, and he first called his boss to say that he would not be back in and asked his manager to call the police. Remember, this was before 911 mm-hmm. was established. Then he called Audrey. So at that point, Audrey lets everyone at the Kellogg plant know what he thought was that Daisy had been shot. So he was reporting he knew she was dead, uh-huh. but he thought she'd been shot. So he is telling everybody that. At 1.15 p.m., the police were called by Lowell McDonald, his manager, and he had to sit for 15 minutes alone. Oh, my gosh. With Daisy. The investigation was meticulous because of the need to take fingerprints not only in the home but the car as well and then compare them to anyone who had knowingly been in the home or the car. Uh-huh. One officer accidentally left his prints at the scene, which is something that he had done before and been reprimanded it's for. kind of like, all right, <sighs> for get sure. your shit together, pal. Exactly. And all the fingerprints checked out except for one. So they literally only had exactly one, one print. unidentified wow. fingerprint. Such an odd scenario because it's like she was killed in the home, but they took her car. Yeah. Think of this. There was six inches of snow and it was freshly falling and cold. No one had drove up to the home. Mm. There were no tire marks of another vehicle. Okay. Whoever did this to her was dropped off by someone else mm-hmm. or walked. Okay. And then stole her car. And it was freezing cold. Freezing, yes. They also found some of Daisy's red fingernails on the carpet of the master bedroom. We don't know exactly what took place, but whatever it was, she did fight like Uh hell for her life because she broke fingernails in the process. They discovered that Daisy's pants were unzipped and pulled down six inches below her waist, but it had been pulled by such force that the zipper actually got caught in, in other fabric from the slacks, and it got stuck. Her panties were in place and did not, and it did not appear that she had been sexually assaulted. Possibly because, simply because she was fighting and her, it, her pants saved her from uh-huh. that. She got, they got stuck. Although Floyd's, although Floyd reported that his wife had been shot, the police knew immediately by the look of the blood stains on the white blouse and the cuts that she had actually been stabbed. Oh. Upon closer inspection, she had been stabbed repeatedly to oh, her wow. left breast and her left back. She had lipstick smeared on her blouse and on her face, and some was found on the Chanel comforter in the master bedroom. There was also a grease smudge on her shirt and on her panties in the left pelvic area. They collected several strands. Like, I think the person had put their hand down her pants to try to, like, that's how it ended up on the left pelvic, like, below pelvic area, even though her pants really weren't that far down. Uh-huh. Um, so I think the person had put, you know, but they but there was no fingerprints on her. Were there footprints? Mm-mm. Wow. No. There were no footprints, but they they know that he entered through the breezeway entrance because the carpet in the breezeway was wet. Okay. From walking in the snow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing like the wind it was so windy that day, any footprints had already they been covered by the gotcha. snow. Mm-hmm. They collected several strands of little yellow fibers from the kitchen and both of the bedrooms, as well as off from Daisy's body, suggesting that the killer wore yellow gloves. 
So it was a cottonous fiber that was really consistent with what like a mechanic would wear at the time or um, like some kind of like uniform type of. Yes. Like a um, or a machinist worker, like something like that. Uh-huh. So we can't necessarily rule out anyone from Kellogg. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, And like I said, there was a a large bruise behind her left ear. There was a small knife left in the kitchen with a small drop of what was later confirmed to be blood on it. And the sink was also tested for blood and showed positive for it. But the problem is, is that Daisy had prepared chicken the night before, so the blood could have been from that. Oh, so they couldn't tell. They can confirm, right. However, Daisy was a meticulous cleaner and ordinarily would not leave dishes and stuff so the police collected the knife as a possible murder weapon the police were present for the autopsy that was completed by dr william walters and at the beginning as he's talking into his recorder he states quote we are beginning the autopsy of a 43 year old male and one of the detectives uh he interrupts dr walters to point out that they are in fact doing an autopsy to of a female uh, my faith would have immediately well, right, been lost at right. that moment. Are you hitting the sauce, Dr. Walters? Right. To which he says, Trooper, who are you to tell me anything about how to do an autopsy? And the trooper's like, listen, this is a female victim. And Dr. Walters replied, it doesn't matter. What? And the trooper's like... It will matter if we go to court and the fact that the great doctor all high and mighty on his doctor pedestal can't tell the difference between a penis and a vagina. It's probably going to call into question the validity of your report, sir. (laughs) Well, I'm glad he uh, was on to something there. He said it a lot nicer than I just did, but he was like, listen, if this goes to court, we're going to have a problem. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna notice that you said when, uh, in the transcripts a forty three year old male yeah. yeah so there we go my my faith and confidence is no. shattered the egos of this time I mean come on right oh. he couldn't even be like oops my bad he's like it doesn't matter I, I the more that we covered these earlier like like these it's forties you know thirties forties fifties sixty cases the more that I think if I was alive in that time I would have been a lesbian in hiding right like because you couldn't be a lesbian then either so I just wouldn't have been able to handle men. <laughs> I know. It's it's really hard to swallow some of this. <laughs> it was concluded that Daisy had suffered a blow to the head that likely would have left her dazed, if not unconscious, for a moment. But the cause of death was exsanguation or bleeding to death from multiple stab wounds. Such a terrible, I know. terrible Yeah, because it doesn't die. happen fast. No. The medical examiner did not believe the knife collected from the home was the murder weapon because it was too small of a blade to cause stab wounds. But the police disagreed and demonstrated that someone standing taller than Daisy and with force, the blade could have matched. So there's some inconsistencies there. They're not convinced. Of course, he thought he was doing an autopsy on Uh, dude. so, (laughs) So they did keep that evidence. At the home, they also found a blood uh, streak above the handle of the door that led to the garage and on the handle of the driver's side of the car. What they believed happened from the evidence is this. They know the person entered through the breezeway as the carpet in the breezeway was wet from snowy shoes. Uh-huh. The struggle started in the kitchen as evidence from the crumpled rug. It's possible that the knife was grabbed at that point. It continued down, and I'll point this out too. The book actually didn't speak about it, but that knife... She could have grabbed. It was her. Yeah. It was actually one of her own kitchen knives that was used at the Kellogg company. Okay. It was very common for Kellogg employees to have those bring those home. 
So she could have grabbed that, that in knife. defense. She could, yes. That's why I'm, because the struggle clearly started in the kitchen, and it's not uncommon for Kellogg workers to have this type of knife in their home. Uh-huh. So I do wonder if she grabbed it and maybe got a couple of chunks of her perpetrator, and they ended up washing it off to try to wash the evidence yeah. off and leave it there because yeah. her husband would have noticed it was missing. That's just my theory because I'm wondering if that was the murder weapon, why the hell did he leave it? Right. Or she. We don't know. But Well, there, there was a guy spotted, right? There the was. Way. There was. Oh, who is the guy? The struggle continued down the hall and into the master bedroom. This is where the blow to her head is likely to have happened and the cuts on her left back shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. Okay, is when she's like trying to run away from them. She would have been subdued enough to not struggle like she had been. After the blow to the head. Mm -hmm. So that's when the killer more than likely got her robe and tied her and bound her to her wrists. They know at one point she was face down on the bed because her lipstick Mm -hmm. was there. She was likely face down when she was bound, they're thinking. Then she came to and fought her way to the guest bedroom. The hi-fi is heavy, so it was likely disrupted by the killer, especially because she was bound. Mm -hmm. At this time. And she was cornered and stabbed repeatedly and then fell to the floor and then slumped down the wall, leaving a streak of blood before dying on her back. So bad. So terrible. Yes. The murderer likely cleaned the knife, but it makes no sense to me why he or she would leave it there. Uh And then exited through the garage where they left a blood streak above the door handle and stole the car. And they also stole $45 from her purse, which likely happened after she was killed since there was evidence of a struggle in the master bedroom where her purse and her fingernails were found. Mm -hmm. So it's not likely that they had any time to grab her. If she was unconscious on the bed after they bound her, they might have taken her money at that time. But one way or the other, they took her money. They then drove her car. She drove a, a white vehicle. It was a big Pontiac thing, I believe. So they then drove the car a little while away to Michigan Ave, abandoned it, and either met someone yeah. or walked to wherever they were going. Now the investigation is underway, and there's lots of questions being asked of anyone and everyone. The neighbor de France, who saw the man in the breezeway matches the description of a man that a police officer says he saw walking away from Daisy's car just after 11 a.m. Now, this police officer was due to appear in court and was late, so he was focused on the fact that he was late, but he saw the white but vehicle. He saw it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Ugh. He saw it and he saw this guy walking. I mean, that would make sense. But he's not going to stop because he's just, you know, he's late for court. He's got to go. Yep. And it's not unusual for a car just to break down and somebody need to go walk and call for a tow or a jump or whatever in cold temperatures. So this officer sees sees the vehicle, but at this time it's not been discovered that it was missing. He had no idea what he he was actually looking at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he did notice a man about 5'7 in a blue coat walking away from the vehicle. Wow. There's a lot of cases where police officers have come into contact with this person that just committed a crime. Like, there's there's a lot of them where they're in, the victims are in the trunk and oh. they get pulled over for a routine oh, yeah. traffic stop. Yeah. It's crazy. The killer should have been covered in blood, but if he was indeed wearing dark clothing, that would have been hard to see from afar. So we should make note of that. And like I said earlier, the cold weather kept people inside, which kept people from being very helpful for eyewitness. We do know that there were not tire tracks aside from Daisy's car. The killer had walked to the home or was dropped off by someone else. When Mrs. DeFrance saw the man standing in the breezeway, there was no car in the driveway. 
Yeah, no I was going to say nobody nothing. saw anything dropped off. No, police searched her locker at work and found the regular female type things and work related stuff. But they also found love notes and her little black book, which helped provide the exact info that they needed to interview people. Not only do they interview people from the black book, but they also interview all people who've been in the neighborhood at the time and at her work. They interviewed the Zix mailman, William Daly, since he was, he's there he's every around. day. Mm-hmm. Yep. This interview was interesting. Daly claimed that at 10.05 a.m. he'd been driving past the chuck wagon on Michigan Ave and saw a man walking, which the chuck wagon was about a mile from where the car had been found, just for reference. He claimed that this person was a white male with a bare head and stood about 5'5 five, five to 5'8". Five, he was about 170 pounds in a black jacket, and he had a dark complexion, which is weird to me. If he's a white man and he's got a dark complexion, I feel like those are contradicting it's statements. It's also, I always find that weird that someone can give such a specific description just, just from I, everyday life. I'm not going to be helpful. I couldn't tell you who and, I saw today. Mm-hmm, and if you asked me weeks later, I would never be able to, just in mm-hmm. normal day-to-day function, be like, oh yeah, he was about 5'7", you know, I just... Nope. Unless that person did something to stand out to me uh-huh. at that moment in passing, I just never would remember those things. No, no, me neither. I know, I've thought of that too. He also said that he had a smile on his face, okay, which also very strange. Yeah, He's walking in the bitter cold. He's got a smile on his face. No one is smiling in Michigan at, Heck, no. on January 14th, <laughs> unless just... it's your birthday. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you're in a different state. So right. No, I'm just kidding. I love Michigan. That's just kind of, it's like, wow, that's a lot of detail to recall. Well, no one else in the area at this time ever reported to seeing this mysterious person. And also, why didn't he have a hat on? It's bitter. Mm-hmm. It is below zero. With your bare head. You have a on. bare head. Yeah. Then Daly reported that he delivered mail at 1110 at the Zick residence. And on that day, the garage door was closed. He made it a point to say that often Daisy is leaving when he is delivering and she will back out and then close the garage door, then get back in her car and proceed on. It's been confirmed at this point from all other neighbor interviews, plus the sighting of Daisy's car on Michigan Ave, which happened before, you know, at 11, Mm -hmm. that they saw her garage door open Open. and the car on on the side of the road. So it should also be noted that later when new detectives joined the case, he changed his story and said that he saw a woman walking down Michigan Ave. That's really So we have someone odd. who's got, he sees this man, then changes his story and says, nope, it was a woman. And he gives complete, total opposite conflicting uh-huh. information from what many other people had reported, that her the door garage was door was, was closed and that everything seemed just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those nosy and that, neighbors know. Well, I mean, they're monitoring. And that he saw her car at 10 a.m. He didn't see her car at 10 a.m. Yeah, still at home. Mm-hmm. That's suspect. Red flags. Yep. What ends up happening is that many of the suspects were cleared because of successful polygraphs, including her husband and lovers. But even by passing polygraph, you know, those can still be wrong. Those yeah, tests can be wrong. they're not foolproof. And, of course, they got tips that were false and just people wanting their name mentioned in the newspapers. It just makes (laughs) me sick. Every time. Makes me sick. Every single time there's an unsolved case. But the first real break in the case happened on March 23, 1963, when Vandermeer reported to police that he had been behind a white Pontiac. Oh, I did make note of what it was. It is a Pontiac. Driving erratically on the morning of Daisy's murder. 
When it finally came to a stop at the side of Michigan Ave, the man was acting like he was looking for something. Not a house, but looking for something or someone. As he passed it, as, as this man, um, Vandermeer, passes the white vehicle, because it's now pulled off to the side of the road, mm-hmm. he made eye contact with the driver. He was in a navy peacoat and had dark, slicked-back hair and a skinny nose. Oh. So he can remember that now, because now some news has come out a bit. Yeah. Although this seemed like helpful information, it really didn't narrow anything down. But we it does discredit Daly's account, uh-huh. for sure. For sure. In 1964, detectives receive a tip that Daisy had been involved with a man named Albert er- Cooley. My notes say Albert Early Cooley, and I'm going to tell you that I bet that was an autocorrect, and it's probably <laughs> Albert Earl. <laughs> Albert Earl Cooley. You never know. Not never Albert know. Early Cooley. <laughs> Maybe he arrived. He was preterm, and his mom was like, "Whatever, let's give him the middle name <laughs> yeah, Early." Early, we shall call him. Yes. That. Fucker came at three fifteen in the morning. <laughs> Albert Early. Oh. Albert Cooley, and they obviously they start questioning him. Questioning him. He was nervous during questioning and did not admit to having an affair with Daisy, but he did admit to having a girlfriend who worked at the. Dog and Suds on Eisenhower Street, which was within eyesight of where Daisy's car had been found. He was evasive in answering questions and even made some jokes. The detective suggested setting up a time for a polygraph, as they did for all the others, and he was hesitant, but he agreed. The same night that he was interviewed by police, Albert Cooley completed suicide. (gasps) Stop. No. And then not long after that, his brother attempted suicide as well. Oh. My gosh. Now, later Cooley's fingerprints were cleared as not matching the identified one, but they never collected prints from the brother. I was just going to say, what about the brother? Throughout the years, the case was transferred to different detectives, and some passed away and others retired. The author of the book, by the way, did suggest fingerprints be done on the brother, but... I was thinking that. I was like, I wonder if it's a possibility. He did. He called that tip in. Yeah. Why are both of these brothers trying to commit suicide? And nothing's been followed up on that at this point in time. Throughout the years, the case was transferred to different detectives, and some passed away and others retired. Which we've talked about. It loses mm-hmm. its its live momentum. Yes. So at this time, I want to go through some theories and debunk some of the common rumors. Suspects, because this is a cold case. The more we can talk about it, maybe the more it'll spark some interest. There was a rumor that the, investi- that the investigation led to many divorces as men who were involved with Daisy were questioned and polygraphed by police. This is actually not true. Like I mentioned earlier, the author of the book and investigators could only confirm that she had dated four men while married to Floyd. Regardless of her reputation, she was an outgoing and fun-loving person, plus good-looking, and she didn't give a damn what people thought of her. So likely the rumors of cascades of men had been exaggerated, much like the notches on men's belts. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> there was a rumor that her little black book got her killed because she was reportedly sleeping with men who were higher up in the Kellogg company and was supposedly using her records in the black book to blackmail them into giving her money. This was debunked by the fact that the Zicks were hardworking people and lived paycheck to paycheck. Their checking account balance was eighteen ninety nine at the time of the murder. She had $45 worth of cash in her purse, which was 
stolen. Like, And she brought home, like, I think it said, like, $58 a week or something like that was her, her paycheck. Job. Yeah. Oh, wow. But anyone who was mentioned in this extortion was cleared by work records. So the higher-ups that she that people were like, oh, she was sleeping with this dude, uh-huh. they were cleared by, by police because they were accounted for at work. There was a rumor that her vocal cords were ruptured from screaming. The autopsy report shows this is not true. Some even say children walking to school heard her screaming, but school had been in session for several hours by the time of her death, and children did not hear her, not to mention it was freezing cold outside and the wind was blowing terribly. It always amazes me how these rumors like, get where started. It, why? Where do they come and just from? Why? Yeah. What what satisfaction are you getting by creating this chaos? Because uh-huh. obviously, I mean, it starts with some someone saying something that mm-hmm. they know isn't true. It's, it's the, just the every game of time. telephone. Yep, every time. Another rumor is that Floyd Zick killed Daisy. He carpooled to work and was at work in a public place the entire time, so he couldn't have been the one to. Kill her. He actually, I found this interesting. He actually carpooled with a woman every day that he worked with at the market. Okay. Okay. So that his story talked out that he was at work and. Yep. Someone called in a tip that Floyd killed Daisy before work and put an electric blanket on her body to keep it warm and confuse the time of death. Then he had a friend by the name of Ralph Hardham enter the home to remove the blanket. And all this was done because Floyd was seeing a woman across town. The problem with this is that Daisy had called and spoken to people after Floyd was already at work. Yeah. So this is why investigators like to keep details close to their chest so that people can't call in fake shit like this uh-huh. and then it confuses the investigation. So yes, she did not die before Floyd went to work when many people spoke to her mm-hmm. after Floyd was already confirmed at you know to be at work. Apparently this Ralph Hartum was said to have been living with them at one point. I don't know. Now let's move on to some of the good theories, okay? The first is that Albert Cooley, or someone close to him, killed D- Daisy. It's certainly suspicious the timing of his death and his brother's attempted oh, suicide. Oh, for sure. Another theory is that a mysterious unidi- unidentified man from Kellogg killed her. The author of the book got two tips during his research on this case. The first is from a Battle Creek woman who said her neighbor's mother knows who killed Daisy. Her neighbor's mother, if you can follow that. Oh, okay. It was alleged that a man who worked at Kellogg's was either fired or asked to quit around the time of Daisy's death and was upset and told other co-workers that if he found out who was responsible for his termination, he would kill them. He moved to Arizona or Florida and no one was willing to say his name or... Oh, wow. They were, like, scared? Well, it's possible... It's possible that this woman did tell the author his name, but he's being investigated by police, so they, he's not going to publish it right now, too. You know, gotcha. I had thought about that, too. But his name was not mentioned. So, but I like how this woman's like, my neighbor's mother yeah. knows. Knows who did it. <laughs> but I didn't, I, there was no other information about whether or not Daisy was the one that was responsible for him being terminated from Kellogg's. Or right. if it was just through the rumor mill. He suspects it was her. Firing from a job isn't a strong motive for murder, considering all of her other life choices. Right. So then the second tip was from a man whose father claimed to know who killed her. So he's like, my daddy knows. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sounds legit already. Yes. The man said that he had seen in the rail yard of Kellogg the day of the murder washing blood off himself. Oh, okay. The issue with this is that in sub-zero temps, 
literally washing blood off would have been painful. I just there's much better places to have done that rather than broad daylight in a right. a factory that works it's open 24-7 and, again, ouch. It's windy. Oh, yeah. It's cold. It makes my hands just freeze right. thinking about it's, it. It's unlikely. Another theory is that it was a jealous woman who killed Daisy. The extent to her injuries to her left breast especially could suggest someone who was attempting to take away the sex of the victim, oh, okay. which is is seen in yeah, for cases sure. like this. The only real woman looked at was Aubrey at First, remember her his friend her friend Aubrey who she was supposed to meet. Yeah, yeah. And Aubrey had like called her a little before ten to confirm. So Aubrey at first was questioned because some said that they were competing for suitors at the plant. Oh. However, there were two accounts of people who reporter reported a man driving Daisy's car, and, and then there's the the actual seeing of a man in her breezeway. Matching the description of the man walking away from the car. Right. It's very clearly a man. But it's interesting to note that Audrey was not... Was I calling her Aubrey before? You know, I was because in my notes it says Aubrey, but her name's actually Audrey. Audrey, okay. Sorry about that. My bad. Correct that in your heads. Audrey was not um, polygraphed, and she did manage to avoid being fully interrogated by storming out of the police station in anger, but her fingerprints didn't match the unidentified one. Mm. So it's like... There's some suspect things there, but at the same time, was she storming out and angry because her friend was just murdered? You could throw her that bone. Yeah. Then there's other people like, no, they were competing for men, and And she she was was jealous. And maybe she got a man to do her bidding. I mean, let's throw that out there, Mm -hmm. too. I don't know. The last theory is that the postman killed her. Remember Daly? Yeah, he's got a little bit of suspicion surrounding him. His interview with the police was the most out there. No one else saw the mysterious man that he had cl- had claimed that he saw walking away from the car that wasn't there yet. Yeah. At the and same time. And the garage door being completely closed or being closed was completely wrong. Uh-huh. And he changed his story from seeing a man to a woman walking down Michigan Ave. And it's possible that it was someone else entirely that they've never even thought of. Right. At the same time, I could see myself having a sketchy story because my memory is bad. And I yeah. I could see myself being like, wait, it was a woman. No, it was a man. I don't know. Right. Leave me Still, alone. Are you judging me? Yes. How's my hair look? Yes. Yeah. And just making myself look guilty. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes, definitely. I think that the killer is dead. I really do think that story makes the most sense. Me too. I it agree. matches up more than anything else. I agree. And that fingerprint. That fingerprint belongs to just, the brother. Yes. I, that's the only one that makes because sense to me. Because two people to me two people had to have been involved. Yeah. He didn't walk there. It was a There's no sub- way he walked there. zero temperature day. He didn't walk there. And look at how nosy the neighbors were. I mean, it is clear oh, yeah. that her neighbors noticed things. They would have noticed a strange man in the bitter cold walking. walking. He was dropped off quickly in front of that house by someone else and then drove her vehicle and was picked up by someone else. My my only question is why? Like, what was his link to her and why they did it? And that's, I guess, that's, that would be my main question. Like, was it linked to an affair? Was it random? Was it... Well, the the guy that we're talking about that committed suicide was having an affair with her. So was it oh, a situation? Okay, of, he was. He was. Okay. They got a tip that he was having an affair. That's why they went and questioned him. Okay. 
And it was about, it was like a year after her murder. So he hadn't even been brought to light until a year after yes. when they were like, oh, wait, he was having an affair too. And he committed suicide after they questioned him. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> to me, I mean, that's what makes sense. So he was alive and coping with it that whole time. He agreed to a polygraph, reluctantly agreed. Yeah. And before he could take it, he committed suicide. Oh, so yeah. to me, I think it was, and I think that it was a crime of passion. And possibly she was supposed to leave Floyd and she wouldn't, or she had, well, and she had started dating that Raymond guy. Uh huh. So there's that jealousy factor. It's multiple jealousy factors. He's still, she's still with his, her with husband. Her husband. Uh-huh. She's now with this Raymond guy too, instead of him. That to me is a pretty pretty strong motive for sure and that mailman is suspicious he clearly watched her but she was a good-looking woman and honestly my mailman could probably tell you like yeah that woman is always out in her front yard in her pajamas (laughs) right crazy dogs (laughs) trying to get them to come inside yeah shaking a treat bag like that's he would notice that or know that about me i mean he's definitely suspicious but stories change for a lot of different reasons though if you're lying they change right well and they changed when he talked to different investigators i just wonder was their questioning different how many years had passed too it had been it was when the case was transferred so did he misspeak and they took him literally and then he was like wait no it was a man sorry this happened years ago i'm just not yeah even though there's he's a little shady and all of this i'm still i just really that's my that is my opinion i agree that's uh, that is where i lead heavily lean heavily too but we don't know killed themselves the brothers killed themselves the uh, second brother attempted to oh he's not alive now okay gotcha I know of, yeah. but I don't. I do not but believe still, it is. still, the attempt itself. Yep. Most of the original investigators and players have passed away. Floyd Zick did remarry and he passed away, but his son James is still alive and still deserves justice for his mother. Yeah, it is, James. I forgot yeah. about James yep. and all of those. It is possible that her murderer is long gone, but it's also possible that they're still out there too. Mm-hmm. If you know anything, please contact the Michigan State Police or Calhoun County Police to provide them with what information that you do know. You never know. You just never know what might be helpful, you know, really, too. I guess there was some drama, too, that when Floyd Zick remarried, his girlfriend worked at um, at a place that I think was like within walking distance of her of where her car was or something. There was some sort of drama and Floyd got really offended that his wife was being questioned. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, the case was still ongoing. This was years later, but. You know, still, I mean, it's still technically open. Yeah, it's still ongoing. That's crazy. For sure. Okay, brain bath time. Yes. Okay. Amber is going to take away our brain bath today. Instead of me bathing you. I'm going to bathe you today. I found a really good one, and I don't want to steal your thunder, so you're going to bathe me. But yeah, I did find a treasure, so I'm going to share it with everybody. Thank you. The title of this delicious brain bath is alleged illegal dentist accused of kissing woman's buttocks. Let's just take that in for a moment. How does your dentist, one who's supposed to be in your mouth, kiss your buttocks? Kiss, yeah, yeah, I have questions. A Florida man. Of course it it's is. It's always Florida, isn't it? It is. We love you, Florida. Accused of performing illegal dental work. So strike I'd one. Say on your anus? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was confused at which end he needed to be at. <laughs> which orifice yeah. does she need operated like, I on I think I'll today? start here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up. Here's the kicker, though. It says he was arrested again. Oh, God. After police said he had administered a shot 
for a woman's toothache and then kissed her buttocks. <laughs> Here, I'll numb the pain. <laughs> Did he give her the shot in the butt? Was he like... That was where my mind went as well. Listen, this is where I have to put it in your butt. To numb the pain. Oh, that hurt? Let me kiss it. It'll make it all better. (laughs) This man is a freak. Always giving me a shot in my butt. Gonna numb the pain in my mouth. John Calazos, Calazos, 47. Sounds right. Um, was arrested and faces one count of practicing dental hygiene without an active license. Anal hygiene and without a license. Practicing anal hygiene. <laughs> Hollywood police said Calazos posed as a dentist and treated a woman who paid him as much as $65 for his services. And now this is in a Hollywood apartment. <laughs> for, we'll just say for his Red services. Flag number one. <laughs> You're getting dental treatment in a Hollywood apartment. Right? <laughs> right? Not even Could you dentist. be any more suspicious? It's starting to all come together for me. Come I... to my apartment. I'll give so, you some dental you work. You have a toothache? Show me your butt. I'm going to fix this. Calazos put a paste in the woman's mouth to help alleviate pain from a toothache. After, or a gel. After she... <laughs> right? You're on to something because after she continued to complain of pain, he told her she would need to pull down her pants and he would administer a shot. (laughs) What? In the actual hell? I think my husband's done that same trick on me. (laughs) Right? We know that one, buddy, okay? (laughs) Then in a room fully equipped with dental equipment... The man touched her private area and kissed her buttocks, according to the police. Do you think at that point she's like, wait, I'm not at the dentist? Like, what Wait, the hell? something is wrong yeah. now. <laughs> You're not a real dentist. I'm leaving your apartment this, now. This, what are those cameras for? Oh, my God. Yeah, Holy right. shit. What is this link to the pornographic site? <laughs> The woman told police officers that Kalazos did not answer her when she asked him why he touched her. Kalazos was previously arrested in September after police said that he performed illegal dental work out of a warehouse. (laughs) I can't can't with this man. I can't in a warehouse. So I'm going to bring it to my home. Come to my apartment. Could you be any more sketchy? Wow. Like, if you're going to come to my place and give me some whitening, maybe. It's Florida, so he's like, you want some reduced price dental work? I'll give you some dental work. Right. I'm very thorough. I actually attend to all orifices of the body. And yeah, like okay, so this this part makes me mad, and but it kind of explains maybe how he was getting away with this. It says he was, for lack of better term, preying on people whose immigration status may have been questionable and had no other place to go. Of course, so he used that to take advantage of these people and bring them into his business. Yep, that makes sense. Sick. Uh, leave their butts out of it. Sick son of a bitch. For sure. Yeah, you gotta swear yeah, out of Amber their... and everything. <laughs> leave their butts out of it. Yes, Come on now. You're a... Supposed to be a professional. So there you have it. That nice is the job. brain bath. Thank you. I'm glad that you were able to finish this episode strong for me. I am too. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Crime Curious Podcast. 
share our stuff, talk to us that tells Facebook that we're worth listening to and then it helps other people find us too. We are crime.curious on Instagram or curious crime on Twitter. We have a website where you can send case suggestions to crimecuriouspodcast.com. You can also listen to all the episodes there. Um, am I missing anything else, Miss Amber? I don't think so. All right. You do such a good job. Right. Just rolls try. off the tongue. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm on my way to f- news next. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I could never be serious enough. Could you imagine me being like, this is Dateline with Charnel? I can't because you will never leave me. <laughs> I won't. That's so true. I'm... Also, just not professional enough at that. I am very professional at my job, just not just this one. Yeah. <laughs> this is my fun job that I don't get paid for. <laughs> right, right. There is that part. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. We hope you guys keep listening. We hope you keep it curious. And we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.